Hi, this is Steve. Anyone who's listened to the Cinephiles knows how important comics were to me growing up. After all, Superman, Batman, and the Legion of Superheroes practically taught me how to read. Of course, at that time, comics and cartoons were thought of as kid stuff. And by the time I was in high school, I was starting to agree. Then, in 1986, Frank Miller and Alan Moore exploded into my world, proving that comics could actually be profound, moving, brilliant. In other words, this wasn't just kid stuff. This was art. By 1989, I was working in a comic book store, where I learned that while comics might have been invented in the U.S., there were a lot of other places that knew this was an art form long before we did. The first Japanese manga I read was Lone Wolf and Cub. The second was Katashiro Otomo's groundbreaking work of post-apocalyptic cyberpunk, Akira. This was like nothing I had ever seen before. The comic, and even more so the movie, was gorgeous, challenging, confusing, abstract, violent, funny, and in the end, fundamentally mysterious. In other words, Akira is a masterpiece. Not just a masterpiece for a comic book or for an animated movie, but a work of true genius, a work of art. With incredible visuals and one of the most original soundtracks in the history of cinema, Akira is as compelling and influential today as it was 31 years ago. And to make this week's episode even more exciting, we'll be joined by host, pundit, and anime expert, Emma Fife. So if you haven't seen the film, the best way to prepare for this week's episode is a journey to cinephiles.net, where you can buy or stream Akira, along with every other film we've ever reviewed. Then come back here on Friday for Katashiro Otomo's Akira, with special guest, Emma Fife. Hi, this is Steve. Jumping in for a moment to let you know that while we prefer the Japanese audio with English subtitles, I actually use the dub version of the podcast because, well, subtitles don't play very well when you can't see them. But whatever version you watch, Akira is an amazing movie, and we had an incredible conversation with our special guest, Emma Fife. I hope you like it. Welcome once again to The Cinephiles, where each week we enter the world of a great film. We explore its themes, the history, the filmmaking, and the influence it has on us today. My name is Steve Morris. I'm a filmmaker and directing instructor in Los Angeles, California. Hello, everyone. My name is John Roca. I'm a voiceover artist, writer, and producer, and host over at Collider Video. Uh, also the co-host of the Top Ten, co-host of the Geek Buddies, and proud of my new one, The Deep Cut, over there on the Collider Conversations feed on, uh, at Collider. Boom! That's my life. Uh, and today, we are actually sitting at Collider. Is that okay that we actually reveal the fact that we are sitting at Collider? Of course. Um, it's, of course. It's, 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 it's so it's after hours, we're allowed. <laughs> Collider after dark. <laughs> no, God, no. <laughs> um, and we also have a very, very special guest today. Yeah, this is, she is the queen of anime, in my mind, <laughs> from numerous uh, 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 experiences with her and also uh, uh, following her on social media and hearing her talk about anime. She's, she's definitely a, a, a incredible host and pundit in the world of film and television and anime. Uh, and you've seen her in the Schmodown. She ha has been a commissioner. She's been a manager. <laughs> she is now currently in charge of the Patreon. But uh, more than anything else, she's a very bright, vibrant light in our sphere. And I want to, we're very happy to welcome for the first time Emma Fife 
to the cinephiles. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for that lovely introduction uh, and for immediately shooting down the idea of Collider After Dark because <laughs> yeah, exactly. nobody, nobody, wants nobody wants that. <laughs> nope. <laughs> nobody wants that. <laughs> I was because I was already going to contribute to Patreon to see it. But uh, no. Oh, oh, yeah. Out. Well, I mean that we could potentially have a, a schmodown here that's just <laughs> like true. <laughs> just oh. drinking, drinking Coors Light in Mark Ellis's uh, living room with Molly hanging out in the background. I People that, would probably pay for that to Molly being a dog. Molly's a dog. dog. Molly's a dog. (laughs) Sure. Um, And uh, the film we're doing today is uh, 1988 Katashiro Otomo. We are moving into the world of Japanese anime with Akira. Um, Or as Emma once corrected me, Akira. Akira. Yeah. Um, And one of the reasons that we're doing this, other than the fact that it is a groundbreaking film in many ways is that it was a pick from our Patreons, including oh. Jack Fraser and Rodrigo VM. Yeah. And I would love to hear why they wanted to hear the cinephiles discuss Akira. Hi, Steve. Hi, John. Rodrigo from Brazil here. Akira is a movie I first watched in the mid-90s. It was an, an overwhelming movie at the time. The visuals and, and sounds were so impressive. It stayed with me. It led me to the manga uh, and to many repeated viewings. I learned to appreciate it even more with time. And I'm really happy to hear your thoughts in, in the next episode. Thanks a lot for picking it. And thanks for all the great work. I was thinking a lot when I was rewatching this movie about the fact that it takes place in this year, 2019. Good point. Uh, and just thinking about the number of things that they actually got shockingly right. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Well, and that it came out in 88. Yeah. And it's 31 years later, and that is right now. Like, it is yeah. actually, yep. it wasn't, this wasn't the reason that I we know. chose to do no, no. Akira, but it is definitely kind of cool. Yeah. It's totally worked out yeah. really well. It, by the way, <laughs> it is, so. yeah. how, how many more of... Uh, Futuristic, post-apocalyptic, horribleness movie things have we yet to get to? Because we've passed Back to the Future, mm-hmm. sure. we've passed Terminator, like we've passed Blade Runner this year. Is mm-hmm. I think this year is also Blade Runner. It is, yeah. You know, so like, are there more that like? I mean, we have Blade Runner twenty forty nine. I guess. I guess yeah. we've got that to. to if I live, if I live that long. Yeah. yeah. Well, there definitely are, and and the thing that's interesting um, about Akira, and that is very uh, sort of typical in terms of Japanese storytelling when they do post apocalyptic kind of stuff, yeah. is that yes, there was an apocalypse, but also we rebuilt and like right. society right. still exists. I mean, that's the thing is that, you know, within certainly in, in Blade Runner, which certainly I think has some similarities mm. with Akira in terms of like how 2019 is portrayed this sort of weird mix of what we know, what what they knew to be true of like city living in the 80s uh, with some, you know, more advanced technological right. things sprinkled in. But, you know, in... In Blade Runner, there's not supposed to have really been an apocalypse. No, They're just no. like, we just started making human replicants. Our, yeah, our world yeah. just kind of This sucks. is just the way that things evolved, whereas in this film, um, and in the source material of the manga, of course, as well, like, it's a city that's been rebuilt. Like, they're in Neo-Tokyo. Mm-hmm. So, and again, like, a lot of that comes from the fact that, like, Japan actually had, to had an re- apocalypse. Had an apocalypse right. and had to rebuild. Right. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. <laughs> do, you, do you remember how you first came to this film? Oh, yeah. Um, so, I, when I, I want to say I probably saw this movie when I was 14 or 15 for mm. the first time. 
and uh, we had it on laserdisc. So this nice. was in my like. Is that the Criterion laserdisc? Uh, yeah, I mean it was it was the best you could get at the Absolutely. time. Absolutely, <laughs> certainly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, my uh, I was like deep into my my anime obsession years at that point, and my dad had this movie on laserdisc, and so I asked him if I could watch it, and he said okay, and so I think I watched it. By myself, probably the first time. We had a room over our garage that had like a a screen that came down and a projector. It was our it was our media room, it was our room for like watching movies. You had no idea what you were getting into? Um, I had a little bit of an idea what I was getting into. I think I already maybe owned the um Todd McFarland uh Canada figurine that came with the bike and everything. Um but I, uh, yeah, so I, but I, again, I'd seen the imagery of it. I used to go, when I was a kid, I used to, like, go through our laser discs, and I would just, like, pull all of them out. Because they, they're the size of records. Yeah, sure, yeah. yeah so these huge. big, you know, very visible artwork on yeah. the cover. Yeah. And so I'd seen that cover artwork so many times. And, again, this this was during an era as well where I would literally, because it was, like, early, early days of TiVo, which was, you know, sort of your DVR predecessor. Um and so I would go because I knew they showed anime on the Sci-Fi Channel, and I would literally go through and look in the credits on everything that was upcoming for names that sounded Japanese in the production crew, and I would record it. <laughs> wow! Because awesome. I just wanted to watch more anime. Um, but yeah, so again, we owned Akira, so I uh, watched it, and I was very disturbed <laughs> by yeah. it. Uh, yeah, and then I I have this weird feeling like maybe it got a limited theatrical release at some point down the line because I feel like I saw it in the movie Mm -hmm. theater but I had already seen the film at that point because I've certainly seen the streamlined dub which was the original dub which was on which they aired on Sci-Fi Channel uh, and which was on the Laserdisc that we had and then not long after I I Saw it in Japanese with subtitles, uh, and I've I've seen the 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 new dub, the the, the pioneer dub. I want to say is the mm. other company that did it with a lot of sort of typical uh, voice actors that were working yeah. at the time. A lot of lot of Digimon voices uh, in the newer dub of Akira. Do you remember how you first came to it? I I think it's a jumbled mess for me to be honest with you, but I remember I collected the comic books, mm. so right. I was reading all the yeah, Akira the comics like in the late eighties and nineties yeah. and stuff, and I don't remember if I saw it on videotape or I went to see it in D.C. Uh, as a kind of like one of these things like, oh, I got to see this movie on a screen. So I don't know if it was one of those limited releases that they did or what have you, but I remember that when I saw it, I had never seen anything like it before and it changed like my perception of this idea of animated films and what they could be. And so – and the material as well because I was probably 19 or 20 when I saw it. For the first one that came, you know, when it was out. And so to me, I was just blown away by what this was. And I had, of course, of course, because it was a condensing of the story as well from the you, uh, you, from the yeah. comic huge, books. Yeah, huge, massive. Huge. Yeah, the, uh, all the collect. It's like Lone Wolf and Cub. Yeah. You go back and watch those Lone Wolf and Cub ones from like the 50s or 60s. But like you look at the, but I collected all those yeah. issues and it's uh, it's just a combination of the adventure. So I, I just remember that it put the hook in me good and I've never let, it's not never let it go. I've always loved post-apocalyptic futuristic films. And, you know, Blade Runner and these, this one were the two ones that really got their hooks in me good and have always been my favorites of the genre ever since.
So, so for me, I you know we always tell these stories at the beginning of how we mm. came to a film. I've been waiting to tell this particular story <laughs> for a long time, which is in 1989. I was in college and working at a comic book store, uh, and 89, of course, is the year of Tim Burton Batman, yes. and yeah. and so a lot of big things, a big time for comic books. And the first Japanese comic I ever read is Lone Wolf and Cub because yeah. Yeah. Frank Miller was like my hero at the time. My opinions about the current Frank Miller maybe are a little mm-hmm. bit different than they were, but he was. I just anything he said, I was going to go read. And when he did the covers on those Lone Wolf and Cubs, I picked them up and I'm like, oh my God, these are amazing, which they are. And then someone said, well, you got to see Akira. And it was just when I think it's Epic was coming out with those comics in the US. And I started reading them. And the comics absolutely blew my mind because there's nothing like that in American comics and the levels of design and the kind of story they were telling Mm -hmm. and the ambiguity and the complexity and the violence and all of the stuff was just like, oh my God, this is amazing. And then the comic book got canceled because the company went bankrupt. And I'm like, no, I have to know how this thing ends. (laughs) Like what? And then someone, and then, because there was no internet then. There was no way to find stuff out. And then I hear, you know, through the comic book Geek Grapevine, well, there's a movie. The movie's just gotten made. And we said, well, how are we going to get a copy of this movie? And like, we had a friend of a friend of a friend who got a bootleg copy on a VHS dub with no subtitles who had just gone to Japan. So we we go, okay, we're going to watch it. And all of us gather around because we'd all been reading the comic book and we go well, now we're finally going to understand what this how it ends and what this movie means and we put the movie in with no subtitles oh, no anything no. it's all in Japanese and we watch it and of course we get to the end of the thing and we go yeah what the hell is that <laughs> yeah. and then we go damn it I don't know how it means and then there was we hear the rumor that they're going to finish the com- more comics are going to come out and so then like five more comics come out and I read those five more and it isn't the entire series and I go well, I still don't know what it means. Like, I, don't understand. Yeah. I still don't understand. And then at the UC Theater in Berkeley, which is where I watched all the kung fu films and they said they, they would have foreign films and stuff like that, they go, oh, we're actually going to see the American release, which was, I think, the dubbed version in 89. 89, yeah, that's right. And they go, and we go, okay, we're going to see it. And we're now we're going to finally understand what this is all about. Of course, we go to see it, we get to the end, and it was in English. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I still didn't understand. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, <laughs> and it, yeah. it was funny. I hadn't watched it in a long time. It's been been 15 years probably since I watched the movie. Yeah, and I watched it, and it is just so overwhelmingly fascinating to watch. Yeah. Like the level of detail and design and ideas in this film. Well, because I mean, they basically got the green light to start making this film. They, I think that. Um, uh, he was approached about making the film in like 83 and the comic oh, started in 82. Early? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So basically, um, yeah, Katsuhiro Otomo, who's um, the creator uh, of uh, uh, of Akira, basically he had been making, he'd been writing this manga mm-hmm. and he had another manga that I think is just called a Apocalypse mm. that they had also made an anime version of and it went horribly, terribly wrong. Like he was really, really unhappy with it. So basically he was approached about doing this film and he said, okay, but I basically have to have 100% creative control <laughs> because he was so unhappy with the other project. Um, that's so crazy yeah. to me. I mean, it, I, I don't want to make the Orson Welles comparison because that's <laughs> kind of ridiculous, but um, – for a guy, he had he. My understanding is he had done character design on like one other film yeah. before this. So he's got he's been a, which is you know obviously takes a lot. Sure, and he's sure. the total creator of this comic, and then he gets complete artistic control, final cut of yeah. his first feature. Yeah, that and you could see. 
what a genius he is. Yeah. I mean, like that he deserved well, it. And it's crazy too because at the time in Japan, like it was a it was a very like affluent time in Japan. Like people just had, especially these the studios at the time, which is so different from now where the working conditions are so awful for animators in Japan. But um, they had so much money that basically there were, I think there were like 10 companies or something that basically had a stake in this. The Akira Committee. Yeah, and they had, and they had like, I want to say a budget of like ten million dollars or something in eight in eighty three, which was a lot more money yeah. at that point. The mo- my understanding, most expensive anime up to that. Point. Oh, absolutely, and yeah, oh, oh, by far, and just like a lot of how this movie was made was very different mm. from the way that most anime is made. I mean, to this day, e- mm. even you know, obviously at the time everything was hand drawn, and I they like had to invent colors for this movie because the company that they like got paint from to do the um cell to paint the cells because again it's all hand painted like there weren't en- <laughs> there weren't enough colors for them like they wanted more colors for this movie that's amazing um and uh and yeah so and and the other thing that's in a couple there's two things that are really really unusual about this film um and it's much more one of them is is how they do western animation which is that all of the voiceover is recorded ahead of time right uh, and they basically animate to the dialogue that is not standard in Japan like in so Japan, do you know why cuz i read this i yeah. never knew this do yeah. you know why they don't do it the way i don't know it I, seems so much harder i genuinely do not uh i i do not have the answer is it voice match do they voice yeah. match yes, do they, the, they, they animate they are first themselves yeah. basically that makes sense yep that makes sense to me. Well, in you the can Eastern see- philosophy. <laughs> you are in service of the peace. The peace is not in service of, of you. you. And so, actually, that's that, a good point. right. That makes sense to me. You yeah. will conform to the peace. The peace will not conform to you. That makes sense. Yeah, and I think yeah. too that it's one of those things where, as you say, like that is in terms of Eastern philosophy, it mm. makes a lot of sense. And on top of that, it's like Japan at this point is already so at the point that they start getting into animation, they're already so used to taking Western properties and dubbing them for a Japanese audience right. that I think that they just thought, well, this is the way to do it, <laughs> uh, and it just kind of stuck. And that's that's how yeah. it is. Now it is different in Japan in that they do group records, um, which they don't do in in the states typically when you're doing adr on something um uh you know you're you're very much isolated in a booth by yourself Mm -hmm. just matching the mouth flaps uh but in japan they do they do actually do group records so they they are able to play off of one another but they are also trying to match the flaps but that was not the case with this film right that that to be clear for this film they actually did it what I would say was American style yes. which yeah. is they yeah. recorded all the voices first yeah exactly um yeah. Uh, one thing one other thing I want to talk about before we get into the movie and and you know normally I try to figure out but well, where are we going to talk about this and where are we going to talk yeah. about that the soundtrack of this movie mm. is so unbelievable to me and I have a story about yeah. the soundtrack too which is that when I was in film school basically there were three soundtracks I went to when my movie sucked and I needed something that would make it automatically better and those they would like the greatest student film <laughs> music I ever had and the three soundtracks are Inigo Morricone well, that name didn't come out of my mouth at all <laughs> Morricone's uh, soundtrack for The Mission oh The Mission's great um, mm-hmm. Peter Gabriel's Passion for Passion mm. Last Temptation of Christ yeah. and Akira Wow, this movie the the sound and it is so unusual and I, I always knew it was unusual sounding and I didn't know how unusual it was made it was made 
first of all, the soundtrack was entirely recorded before yes, they made the movie. That was my next point, was that that also the soundtrack was recorded before the movie was made. That's great. And the way they recorded it is a st- – so the, the group is uh, – how do you say it? Geino Yamashiro Gumi? And it's Shoji Yamashiro who is the guy. And this is this group that is this avant-garde musical group that traveled all around the world. And uh, Otomo had heard um, recordings of them from Prague, I think, although it's a Japanese uh, group. And he said, "Okay, I want you guys to do it. And what they did to make this music is crazy. First of all, it gathers uh, musical um, instruments and styles from all over Asia, including traditional Japanese things, the taiko drums and the voices, but also a lot from Bali and Indonesia and Malaysia, mm-hmm. traditional instruments. And what they and they used a Balinese uh, scale, you know, rather than like the eight-tone eight scale that we're used to, or there's a 12-tone scale and a 16-tone scale. This is some traditional scale, and they wanted to be able to bring it all into computers. But none of the computers with the MIDI at the time are written for that kind of scale. Mm-hmm. So they actually had to rewrite all of the software for the MIDI in order mm. to use this scale. Crazy. And then what they did, and this is what is so cool, in addition to bringing in, they had everything recorded traditionally. So when they're recording taiko drums, the particular drum group that they used are dressed up in deer suits and they have weights and straps on their body to make oh, them man. heavier because the, the idea is, is that the tension of the weights changes the sound of the music. And so they actually – and normally you go like, well, that's what you do for performance. Mm-hmm. But you wouldn't wear the deer suit in the studio. Oh, no, they did. They did wear the deer suit. They had the guys from Bali with the 300-year-old percussion instruments. They had people – they were recording uh, voices in a huge, huge symphony hall. And they put them up on the stage and they went and, – and the guy uh, – what's his name? Yamashiro didn't like the sound of it. So he moved them up into the balcony to record it. And then what they did – and this is what just blows my mind because it is so different from any, any way I've ever heard of a movie made – was they make it all modular. So they take each little piece and they separate it out in the computer. Mm. And so it's not that they just handed the filmmakers the music. Yeah. is they handed them all the stems essentially of all possible things so they could mix and match and fit all these pieces together. And it's like it's like the antithesis of John Williams. Mm. Yeah, you know? exactly. Because John Williams is like, here's the leitmotif for the, for the arc. Here's the leitmotif for yeah. Indiana Jones's hat. Here's mm. you know, the love theme. Here's Vader's theme. Yes. And it will go here and it will be this long and this is what it is. Yep. And this is like, here are all these here pieces. Here are all the components. Yeah. Good luck. Amazing to me. <laughs> yeah. And, the, yeah. and it's astounding. Crazy. Astounding music. Well, you know, I watched it for the first time ever with the Japanese audio for this podcast because mm. I, got, uh. I got the Blu-ray and I looked it up on, like I went on the internet. I was like, which is the best way to watch this movie? Is it with the English dub because it's how I remember watching it? Right. Or with the Japanese dub because like with Batman Ninja, the English dub, I mean the English subtitles and dub match each other, mm-hmm. but they don't match what the Japanese is saying Correct. half the time. Right. Yeah. And so you're like, well, what is the real story of what's happening yeah. here? And I can't believe in 2018 that they would do that, like dub the Japanese. What's the problem? Yeah. So I was concerned about it, what the right way to watch is. And when they said, watch it with the Japanese, with the English subtitles, uh, that's the best way to go. And you put on the 5.1 surround sound of the new Japanese update. Holy crap, it's incredible. And the music is so beautiful. And you hear things you hadn't heard before. So right. it was like almost like rewatching the movie again yeah. from like from the beginning for the first time. And I 
was so uh, blown away by that. So yeah, if anyone's listening who's wondering how to watch it, watch it because the music, which is what you all were talking about, is even more vibrant on the on the Japanese 5.1 surround sound. Well, speaking of watching the movie, shall we uh, enter into the world of Akira? Let's oh. talk about it. <laughs> so we open not over Neo Tokyo, but over Tokyo mm. in 1988, and the camera is flying over the city, and we hear the sound of wind and the dissonant music, and we hear that this is July 16th, 1988, in Tokyo, and then we see the explosion. And again, right here, you see this clarity of design in terms of how this is done. Mm-hmm. This black and white spherical shape, and that what sound does that explosion make? None. Mm. Silence. That to me, right there, shows a filmmaker who really knows what he's doing. I totally understand why this guy knows images. He'd been drawing great comic oh, yeah. books for his whole career. Yeah. How does he know about sound? I just I think that, again, that it, it kind of goes back to that haunting understanding that the Japanese have about having to deal right, right. with a total destruction like that and dealing with it and sort of the like weird quietness of everything being destroyed. You know what? I didn't look up. Do yeah. You know what year he was born? I don't. Mm. So he was. I know he. I you know he had to be. Tomosan. He was born in fifty four. Fifty four. So yeah. Long after. Yeah, so after. heard the stories. Yeah. Okay. Mm. And we cut to a blinking bar sign and a guy with skinhead and a little bit of mohawkiness. Going down into this grungy, dingy, underground bar. I had never in my life seen anything animated that looked like this. Mm. Yeah, I'm trying to remember for myself in terms of when I watched this, if it was like, uh, that That speaks more to the body horror stuff, though, which is later in the film. But yeah, I feel like even... I mean, and again, like, I was somebody that was watching a lot of anime, so I felt like, oh, I I am used to these animated stories being for adults right. uh, and not necessarily See, for kids. Yeah. So I, I'd certainly seen things that felt, I think, stylistically similar. Because I think at this point I would have already seen like Princess Mononoke where, mm. you know, you've got all kinds of weird like demon stuff happening. Right. Uh, and and again, like a, a mature tone to it, um, but not like this specifically, though, I don't know. There's there's a lot of uh, of like space anime where they go to seedy bars. That sure, look a sure, lot like this. sure. But I hadn't seen. You know, this yeah, is eighty nine, sure. and I hadn't seen totally. anything like this. Yeah. I mean, like I really think the Blade Runner comparison is like. It's, there's so it, much of that. It truly world. is unbelievable. I think also the Ronin. Uh, oh, Frank sure. Miller Ronin uh, graphic novel is a yeah. direct comparison yeah. to what it's all around the same time. Well, and, and well, this is because we we'd have to call up Frank and find out. Yeah, is I, I'm sure he read Akira before he did Ronin. Probably. Ronin's got to be Ronin's before Dark Knight Returns, so mm-hmm. it's like '85, right. right? Yeah, I mean, he had to. Boy, we know he's reading Lone Wolf and Cub, right? Because there's no Ronin without Lone Wolf and Cub. Yeah, um, I I bet he had read this too because so much of the design principles and I haven't read that in a long time. I should Ronin? read it again. Yeah, uh, every year, once at least every. Year. It's it's it rivals Dark Knight Returns for me because of the technological aspect of it all and what it means and the samurai thing, which is massive. Well, and the thing with Ronin, and this is not the Ronin podcast, right? It is really <laughs> ambiguous about exactly what's going on. Yes. Very much like this uh, film. Yeah. 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 Um, so, and there we see uh, Kanada at the jukebox wearing that red jacket with that pill on the back, 
is so iconic. It really is. Yeah, the fashion in this movie is great. Yeah. It's like, again, it's it's all clearly uh, they didn't update their style too much no. from the eight, between well, I mean, eighty eight and twenty nineteen. Yeah. But you know what? That's also accurate. Well, and that's all science fiction. I mean, yeah. all science fiction. You can see the years that they what their made. vision of their future. Yes, one hundred percent. And uh, the some other gang members come in and scare that guy at the bar, and then we see Canada. Uh, playing with the jukebox and that CD goes down and we hear that the clown gang is out there and we head out into the alley Mm -hmm. and we meet Tetsuo who is playing with the bike. I know. Poor sweet Tetsuo. (laughs) He doesn't know what's coming. (laughs) Poor sweet bird rage Tetsuo. I know. 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 And it's all set up right in this moment. Yeah. And it's I believe that might be the coolest motorcycle of all time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, listen. the coolest motorcycle of all time certainly exists in some sort of Japanese media because it's either this or it's Cloud's bike in Final Fantasy VII. Uh, like, there's uh, no, yeah. there's no. I'd like to throw the original Tron in there as a as a contender. Probably won't win. Yeah, but that's yeah. a great light. I think that is a, think that is a really cool. important design. Yeah, cycle. they're really cool. We yeah. can we can throw Henry Fonda's bike in. Uh, um, uh, uh, Easy Rider sure, in there. Sure. No, Peter Fonda. Peter Fonda. Yeah, yeah, Peter Fonda. Peter Fonda. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, but there's a list. Henry there's Fonda. On a lot Harley. of Fondas <laughs> out there. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. sorry, Mr. Fonda. I know you just passed away. <laughs> I feel bad that I disrespected you. No, I was, actually, Henry's probably more pissed about it than Peter. Oh, well, I was going down the road of like, when, when did Henry Fonda do a biker yeah. film? I was sorry, like, Peter so Fonda. Excited. Yeah. Um, oh, by the way, something else I didn't know. Oh. These were these were his favorite movies. Otomo Katsushiro Otomo's favorite movies were. Bonnie and Clyde, Easy Rider. He loved Woodstock. And it's like, uh, what are these films? These are rebellious youth films. Like there's so much Bonnie and Clyde-ness in this movie in its way. A little bit. Yeah, Yeah. I totally agree. Um, And out comes Kanada. He's not having Tetsuo playing on his bike. I know. Yeah, he tells him he can't even ride it because it was made specially for him and Tetsuo can't handle it. (laughs) The the, the, The... disparaging of Tetsuo throughout this film is so horrible. I know, but I think that one of the things that the movie does really well, because I think that any time in terms of adapting a source material, and this is across the board, like this is not just manga to anime, like I think that all the strongest ones, the thing they do extremely well is take out some of the plot and shift the focus to be on the relationship right. between the characters. Mm-hmm. And while I think that this film... Like, I don't want to say suffers, but doesn't give you enough of some of the characters that appear in the film. That is not the case with Tetsuo and Kaneda. Like, yeah. you really get their relationship right off the bat. Yeah. Totally. And what's so? I tried to reread the comic book for yeah. this recording. I got ten issues in. That's as far as I got. Yeah, yeah. Here's the big thing. There, there. Obviously, there's so much more. It's a huge, yeah, gigantic sure. story. It's massive. Kaneda is way more of a horrible person. In, in the, I know. In the comic. Yeah, he's kind of like he's just, awful. Oh, he's horrible in the manga, but in the movie, he's sort of just a dumb, yeah, boy. But the, it, it, what's <laughs> interesting is in the balance is because you know if you remove this scene and his you know really disturbing moves on girls and all of yes. the if you remove some of the violence and the squirminess and all that stuff, he becomes so much more of a hero. Yeah, in this movie. Oh yeah, because you take out all those negatives and then he's. 
I mean, we're going to get to some badass yeah, moves totally. from this guy. Well, this is what I enjoy. It's not clean. This no, re- these no. relationships, yeah. it's, it's enjoyable and very mature, right? Oh, is for that sure. They're, although they, and you find out later, because in retrospect, you, you can put it through that prism as well, that they grew up in a state school together, so they yeah. weren't a foster home or whatever it was. And so that you're going to develop a harder edge. Connecting to people is not as easy. So they, they, they do all have a... You could say a love for each other as friends. Sure. There's still a hierarchy even within the friendship. Everyone's got that alpha dog or whatever in their friendship groups and whatever. And Canada's that, which is why he, although he saves Tetsuo from being beat up by other people, he also will step on Tetsuo when it totally. fits his needs. For and sure. so, and he does it here. Well, frankly, throughout this entire film, we are not, in my opinion, going to find consistent goodness. Yeah, or even, there's no, no way to yeah. know. Like you're, it's you know, even when you watch it, when you watch it the first time, you're like, you have no idea. But, you, but even <laughs> yeah. when, on subsequent views, you're like, well, should I be rooting for that person? Yeah, you know, they're doing. They believe that they're right. Sure, but. Um, who knows what's right? I found myself uh, connecting with a colonel more Me this too. time around oh, yeah. as an older man, and I was like, because I used to hate the colonel in the anime, in the manga, and yeah. and also in the movie when I used to watch him as younger. So identifying with what he's trying to well, do, you're like, oh shit. Well, yeah. I mean, we'll we'll, we'll hold yeah, off right, on because right, we're going to sure. get to so much more of this stuff. Because right now we are building the tension to go on a ride to go fight the clown gang and I'm telling you when he revs up that bike and those lightning things go along the wheel and that music starts to build and you hear the beginnings of this mix of traditional percussive sounds with super modern almost techno-y rhythms and you're like wow and they take off and we have those light streams coming off the back and, and and this is all these ways that anime does things and Japanese art does things that we never did yeah you know that's just like very unique to that yeah absolutely I mean I, I found myself especially in rewatching it going man the, the, I I was right about this movie the first time I watched it because I I felt very much like there was stuff that was happening in it that could only be animated and it oh, this yeah. is a this is a prime example of something that's really taking advantage of its medium. Absolutely. Yeah. And we go into the city, and this is where you get the full Blade Runner with the giant yeah. holograms I know. and all I that stuff. I thought the yeah. exact thing is during the motorcycle chase. I went, man, this is so L.A. Blade Runner. And, and there's, the, you know, the shot of we're at an intersection, some cars start to pull off, and we're at a high angle, top down, and we see the cut closer to the car, and the guy slams on his brakes because those motorcycles come by, and then you're inside with the driver, and the big wrench or whatever yeah. it is smashes through his windshield then he dives out and someone throws a grenade or something in there and blows up and I go what the fuck is happening like what kind of movie am I in you know who again and at this moment I think those are the clowns that actually do that not our guys I believe so but I don't really you're kind of like wait who What's happened? Yeah. Was this good? Is this bad? <laughs> yeah. And then we're inside a restaurant with some people. Oh, yeah. And man, they, you know, it's like some couple that's out on date night or whatever, or flirting with some girl, mm-hmm. and suddenly the waiters and everybody else starts oh. scrambling, and a motorcycle with a clown gang member comes through that windshield window and hits the ground and slides forward with his clown head face coming right into the camera. A, it is a spectacular shot. 
B, it is exactly in the comic book, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. and that's where you see. And it, you know what it reminds me of, actually, in a weird way, not that the movies are anywhere similar, mm-hmm. but is if you read Frank Miller's 300 and you watch 300, oh, yeah. there are shots where it's like that is exactly in the comic book. Yeah. Certainly the wolf shots is exactly in the comic book. Exactly. When he goes up uh, as a teenager. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Tetsuo is chasing a clown and there's just a beautiful side shot of Darling with the rider and you see the debris flying through the air. Yeah. It just is a remarkable, remarkable shot. And we and then we cut to we're going to see the head clown guy riding that big chopper, arms crossed. Arms crossed, so good. And we hear this music that has <laughs> – and now we hear this breath music that's doom, doom, <gasps> And yeah, it, again, it yeah. sounds like nothing else. And then coming into the shot, jumping over a wall and landing into frame, which reminds me of Arnold and T2 jumping into that into that canal. It's the same kind of shot. And a guy, one of our, our gang members, jumps off the sidecar with a giant wrench weapon thing in his hand, lands on the front of the motorcycle, swings down, tries to hit the head clown, who then grabs him by the face and headbutts him. And we're in a world now, it's anime of speed lines with all the backgrounds have dissolved. And in slow-mo, he goes off of that thing, falls in front of the motorcycle, it goes over his arm. Whoa. Yeah. Again, I've never yeah. seen anything like this before. Yeah. And you know what it reminds me of? is a movie we just did recently. It's Road Warrior. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. I, I was kind of thinking that I was getting uh, – this has – a little bit of a Mad Maxi oh, sort sure. of vibe totally. to it. Absolutely. This element, particularly yeah. the clowns. Yeah. 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 Um, and now we get chicken between the clown boss and Canada riding right at each other. Speedometers going way, way up, and then they pass, and clown goes down, and Canada with the perfect, coolest skidding stop on that bike. Yep. You're like, oh, this guy's. This guy's cool. He's cool. <laughs> I don't know if he's morally sound. But... Oh no! <laughs> it's what's so tracking what his motivations are is a really weird thing. It's very yeah. strange. It's very strange, particularly when we get to I am trying to save my friend, kill my friend, save my friend, yes. kill my friend. <laughs> also, that girl I like. Yeah. <laughs> um, cops are coming, and we all bug out mm-hmm. with light trails. We're in a shaky POV camera. There are dogs barking. There's riots. There's protesters. We're in a part of the city that has just gone crazy. And there is a man in a coat and there is a strange looking kid. Oh, yeah. All right. Yeah. And the kid – what I love too is that the kid looks back and sees that behind them is a trail of blood. And I just – and again because we like to talk about filmmaking every once in a while. You have a choice. You're a filmmaker. Whether or not you're shooting a real film or an animated film to go like do I do it insert or do I do a POV shot? Mm. So much more powerful in this situation do the POV shot because you have the kid's reaction to the blood. Um, I know that's a small thing. Um, and they stumble through the traffic jam and they get out into the middle of this protest where there's stuff about – because the other things going on is this city is falling apart. Mm-hmm. People – there's religious fanatics. There's protesters. There's terrorists. And this bleeding man and the boy get through the crowd. They get spotted. They're in the lights. He's trying to get the kid to go away. He shoots out one of the lights. And they open fire on him. Wait, hold your fire. He's got a kid. And it is bloody. It is. And he tells the kid, you got to go find Ryu or something like that. Mm-hmm. And then the kid won't leave and they wipe him out. I mean, they just machine gun fire, spawning Clyde. Yeah. Yep. 
Total, yeah, oh, it's totally Bonnie points. and Clyde. Total Bonnie and Clyde moment. And then the kid kind of cries. Yeah. And he cries a little louder. And then he screams. All the windows. <laughs> yeah. Not only shatters the windows, yeah. but that huge water tank oh, on top right. of the building. Oh, that's right. It falls down. Right. Right. So that actually was one of the things when they were making this film, because obviously it's all hand-drawn, but there were some computer mm. elements to it. And I guess that they used computers to calculate how things would fall. That's why it looks so amazing. So that Dang. they could animate it better. So they're dealing with the gravity and like yeah, all the particle yeah, physics. Exactly. Oh, that because it doesn't look like any. The, anytime you're seeing yeah. destruction in this movie, it looks completely like its 100%, own thing. Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um that's such an interesting concept of going I mean it's 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 you know seven years before Pixar or whatever, mm-hmm. or seven years before Toy Story, yeah. of going like, well, we can't use this to animate our movie, right. but we can use it to teach us things about how to hand draw it. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's exactly what it was. Cool. <laughs> With all the unusual shit that's happened up to this point, this is the moment where you're like, okay, what is happening? Yeah. With this no, it's like, so true because it, right? because it's you're absolutely right. Because you start with, okay, cool, I get it. Yeah. CD. Gangs. Gangs. Right. Really sick motorcycle chase. I'm in it. Yeah. But then the moment you see the weird looking kid, because you see him from yeah. far away first. Like right. They do a really good job of setting it up where you're like, oh, there's this little person. You go, oh, wait, he's sort of blue gray. What's going on? With and he's old. He's old. Yeah, and right. old. Wrinkled. Yeah. Um, uh, what's going on with this kid? Uh, yeah. And then when he does actually speak and cry, you go, oh, it really is. It's a child. It's not some right. weird actually he's an old man kind of situation and then yeah when he shatters all the windows and just causes all the destruction you go all right this is this this is going to be important in this movie <laughs> well and then he disappears yeah. yeah and then he disappears and Kay, who's the character young woman who we're going to get to know more she sees him mm-hmm. we meet the colonel yes. who hears they've gone to the old city and he is great design yes I mean, this oh is, yeah i mean that and I, this is something anime does so well of like the huge broad shouldered yeah. square jawed dude yeah and the colonel is fantastic yeah there's some shortcuts you can do when you're drawing people uh in a way that doesn't necessarily 100% resemble what people actually look like like i think that's one of the things that is so fun and enjoyable about anime is the character design and how oh, yeah. much that tells you about a character without them having to say anything. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And we have a hard cut back into a chase. And we're with the clowns and they throw like a hand grenade in a tunnel and and then and Kanada kind of gets away from it and then there's the extinguishers that shoot foam down in the tunnel. Such a cool yeah. sci-fi idea. Mm-hmm. And Tetsuo comes through that foam, which is a fantastic shot, and he doesn't wait. Mm. No. He just keeps going. Because he wants to prove himself. Right. Yeah. You know, everyone's been mocking him and making fun of him. And he's kind of messed up in the previous chase, which I don't think I mentioned. And he heads off. And we're off on some bridges. And we're into the restricted area. And there's riots going on. And the police are trying to put down the riots with tear gas. And there's gas everywhere. And we see this character, Ryu, we're going to get to know more. We see Kay, who disappears into the gas just as the soldiers come out. 
There's so, I, the problem I had with writing my notes, mm-hmm. every shot is a fantastic oh, shot. Oh, yeah. yeah. And so I kept wanting to write down, well, this is cool and this yeah, is cool. Yeah, there's not a cool. wasted moment in no. this whole film. <sighs> like the next thing that happens is, and they're random people, is yeah. the soldiers who came out of the gas and some innocent guy comes out of the gas yeah. and he hits him in the chest point blank with a gas canister. Yeah. It's just like, oh, my God. And then we're back to the chase. Once again, I, and I find this construction of it brilliant because, they're, like you said at the beginning, or we said there's no – Pure person in this. No. Mm-hmm. So it's all about varying degrees of goodness and badness and morality and what have you. So when you've got soldiers who are shooting these protesters in the chest, mm-hmm. point blank with tear gas canisters, how bad does Canada or Tetsuo or these other characters look in comparison? Right, in comparison to these right. people who are supposed to be the sort of pillar of morality right. and upholding the law. Exactly, the protect and serve situation, right? Yes. So all of it, I love that. Really well, it, it, yeah, to what's going on now, or what, you, or what we've experienced <laughs> yeah. before. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, well, and, and well, this is the thing. Well, and it's like there are the we can't trust the police. We're yeah. not trusting that colonel. Yeah. But then you know later, I'm not going to really trust Ryu and Kay, who are no. underground no, people. Yeah. Like they're they're terrorists essentially. Yeah, they're, yeah, yeah. they're effectively terrorists. Right. And, they're in cahoots with a guy on the council. Who knows what his yeah. goals Who's going to rob everybody? Yeah. yeah. And I remember in the comic, they're also connected to the religious fanatics, and all of them are yeah. fantasizing about Akira and whatever that means, and nobody knows what the fuck that means. Yeah. So everybody is mm-hmm. acting based on something where the, that an unknown. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like if the un, if an unknown is at the core of your moral principles, your moral principles are weak. Yeah. You That's know. Very true. Or certainly malleable. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but right now we're back into this car chase, and I love again it's little things. But there's the dude that Tetsu is chasing, and he has a little turbo nitro something switch and he hits that thing and almost loses it Mm -hmm. and it's a great funny moment there's another great funny moment where two guys separate one guy goes down a ramp and he goes no don't go that explosion (laughs) again that's great and the guy who's doing the the turbo crashes and Tetsuo comes up behind him full speed with some weapon in his hand I know and he just hits him right in the head yeah and I, it he almost looks like his helmet for sure. But, but it there's does, a lot of blood. It looks a little like, uh, in a much more artistically executed fashion, the scene <laughs> in um, Jason Takes Manhattan, where Jason <laughs> just punches that kid's head off on the bridge. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I've never seen that particular yeah, bit of cinema. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, well, it really should just be called Jason Takes a Boat Ride because <laughs> for most of it, they're on a boat. Uh, they don't get to Manhattan until like the last 15 minutes of the movie. <laughs> that'll, be a, that'll be a future cinephiles episode. Mm-hmm. Oh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. um, and Tetsuo is very proud of himself and looking yeah. back. And because he's looking back, yeah. he's not looking forward and doesn't see that that kid who we now, the old kid who we now yeah. see has the number 26 written on his hand yeah. is right in front of him and Tetsuo can't stop and there is a crash, an explosion, but he doesn't crash into that kid. Mm-mm. It is really beautiful, yeah. beautifully mm-hmm. shot. Tetsuo is wounded and Kanada is, and the guys are kind of catching up. They show up, move kind of around the fire. Um, and again, one of the things that this film does that I didn't remember seeing before, it plays with focus. Like in a normal film, depending right. on lensing, you're going to have characters in the foreground in focus, mm-hmm. background out of focus, or vice versa. Usually in animation, until the one the movie other than this that I remember really noticing is Wally. Mm-hmm. Wally is a film that loves because mm-hmm. Roger Deakins is the advisor on that mm-hmm. and and loves to play with focus. And in this, it's like we have Tetsu, we have Canada in focus and the fire out of focus. Yeah. We're gonna see that a lot, and that creates a sense of depth and isolation. Right. Yeah. It, again, it is a master craftsman at work. 
And Tetsuo is obviously really hurt. And the kid is backing away. And Kana is calling to that kid. It sees his weird face. And then a spotlight hits. Mm. And it's silent. And another one hits. Silence. And another one. And another one. And then the spotlight sweeps up to Kanada. And the moment it hits it, the sound arrives of the helicopters. Beautiful, yeah. beautiful filmic moment. I think it just captures two, and it, this is certainly not the only film that it happens in, but that whole idea of it's it's a really interesting and correct translation mm. of when something you don't expect happens in your own life. Yeah, yeah. Of you're oh, sort of like yeah. out of your own body for a second. Good point. Like watching your own life, and that's how this scene feels. Right. That's a totally good point. Yeah. And one of the things, you know, we I, we talk about it in film school is are we being objective or are we being subjective? Mm. This is a subjective mm-hmm. moment. This is this is how Canada is experiencing this moment. Yep. Yeah. And, and, and the playing with sound and sound design is just beautiful in this film. And – uh, that weird kid tries to run away and another weird looking kid in some floating wheelchair thing. Oh, yeah. This is the floating throne thing over the chair. Like it's badass. Yeah. And it's throughout the whole thing. Like it keeps yeah. coming back in the movie. And you temp- you're tempted to think that this kid is going is like the leader of this whole thing and oh. whatever because of the way he's sitting in the suit and everything. But that does not Proved to be true. Well, and we go like, oh, is he the enemy of the kid? Right, yeah. he's staying. You can't go away. Is it a battle I, between I, the two? Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I definitely had that moment. I remember watching it the first time of yeah. being like, oh, is this the villain? Yeah. Well, this is the <laughs> thing about this. Well, like, because th- there's, you can watch it and go like, oh, the colonel has these three innocent kids held captive. Right. But know, then but they don't really want, no, you know. And also, like, and we'll, I'm, we'll talk about it later when we get into it, but. He actually has a pretty nice relationship yep. with the kids, aside from the whole they're in a, like, you know, government scientific experiment program that's messing around with their heads. But, like, yeah. he has affection for these kids. I think – so I'm with you. I turned around much more in the Colonel watching yeah. this time. Maybe it's because I'm old. Yeah. But it also is because – I look at his – I believe the Colonel – is 100% believes he's doing the right thing. He, oh, he or is trying to do the right thing. He absolutely believes he's doing the right thing. And, and exactly, he's trying his best to do the right thing. He does not have selfish motives in any way. Mm-mm. Now, what he is doing might very well not be the right thing. Yeah. Honestly, I've now watched this movie probably 10 to 15 times. I don't know what the right thing is. Yeah. I don't think there's a right thing. But at this moment, what they want to do is get this, this kid back. Yeah. And we also see that Tetsuo is injured. And so they're going to take him away. And Kana doesn't like that. And he gets, he's trying to talk to them. He's trying to in his sassy mm-hmm. <laughs> way. And, man, they slam his face to the ground. Mm-hmm. And I love when he forces his head up to look. Yeah. It's a great There's shot. There's a lot of f- face smashing into pavement in this movie. People bleed a lot. <laughs> they do. There's a lot. There's a lot of blood in this movie. Um, and he gets one glimpse of that colonel before the helicopter flies away. And the colonel's looking at the two kids in the helicopter. And then we cut to Tetsuo. I think this is such an interesting moment. Tetsuo's in the helicopter. He's unconscious. He's on a, a, a bed. And then as the music rises, the background of the helicopter fades away and we see Tetsuo floating over Neo Tokyo. Mm-hmm. What do you think that means? What is, what, what is the filmmaker telling us? I mean, it's kind of a parallel with what ends up happening later, I mm. think, in the film. 
of this whole idea of, you know, you're being set up for. And and especially, you know, this is something that I think they get a lot, but they do get a lot more into in the manga is the whole like sort of Emperor Tetsuo thing where he, you know, has this newfound power and suddenly now he he was in a situation wherein everybody was always putting him down and now he's, you know, rising up above everybody else and can literally float because of his his awakening mm, psychic totally. powers. I, for me, I, I almost like he... Uh, Daredevil getting uh, his sensory powers uh, suddenly feels all this stuff in the city. Yeah. Like that's kind of – I feel like yeah. his his consciousness is spreading out in some yeah, way. Yeah, I think – yeah. You know, as as because what we are going to find out is that his encounter with the weird kid has uh, – which is Takashi, I think, yeah, has Takashi. activated some – latent mm-hmm. superpowers, some mutant yeah. powers in him. Well, yeah, that's what I think. It's the beginning of it, right? So yeah. it's going to show that initially not fully uh, explored yet or realized yet, but it's the beginning of it, this yeah. feeling of being in and out even while unconscious. Yeah. We're talking to some cops. They've oh seen my gang God. guys this like is... this before. <laughs> and this they're... is such a good scene. I just – they're they're kind of talking their way out of it, and this is clearly not the first time. No. They have been through this. They are, and what's so funny is they show. It's not that they show no respect. It's they show occasionally the illusion of some minor respect to get what they want, and then are complete, complete rebels the whole rest of the time. Yeah, you know. Um, and they manage to kind of, kind of, manages to talk his way out of this situation. I mean, <laughs> yes, <laughs> but also it it boils down to the cops going, these guys are too stupid to be yeah. involved in yeah, what exactly. we're actually looking for. <laughs> exactly. Right. right. Um, and But then, right, as they leave, they're like, oh, no, we, we have one more person. Yes. We have our friend, which is Kay, yeah. which is the girl that we saw earlier, saw Takashi disappear. And they go, yes, yeah, she's with us. And they managed to get her outside. Yeah, because they were just so annoyed with yeah. them at that point and wanted them to leave. <laughs> One more totally. They called him an old, ga- old man. They called I'm him an old man. Five years old, and I'm not even married. <laughs> um, um, and one other completely bizarre little bit is there's some dude going long live the revolution. Oh my god! Yeah. Who they're the beating grenade. the crap out, pulls out a grenade. Tries yeah. To, yeah. Grenade fire shoots out, smoke shoots out. Nothing. Nothing. Dud. And then they beat the shit out of him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're outside. And we're kind of we talk about the weird kid, and we talk about Tetsuo, and we don't know what hospital he's in, but Canada's talking to Kay. Mm-hmm. What I meant was maybe we can go for drinks somewhere around here. And this is the stuff that is like this times ten in the comic book. Yeah, of him being a uh, dog, and she's not having any of it. And then she leaves. He tries to chase her. Giant truck gets in the way. He doesn't catch up with him. And in the last moment, in the background, the giant building, explosion. Because yeah. that grenade ended up going off. Yeah. <laughs> That's a great little comic beat. Yeah. If you find horrible slaughter of innocent people well, comic. Yeah. I, I, which it's I definitely played for comedy. It's this, played though. totally for comedy. You say innocent. Yeah. <laughs> it is a police station. They were beating him up. Yeah. Well, well, and there are there there are criminals and horrible cops. Yeah. So we're not too innocent. Right. No one's innocent in this thing. Colonel's hearing with some president of government something that there might be a mole in executive council. There's talk about politics. There's talk about him not being popular. There's talk about his lack of judgment, and that's all of that. Yeah. Uh, off with Tetsuo. Again, the design of the scanner that he is floating in right. with those wheels spinning and tilting, it's so cool. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Don't it, forget the Bantha 
tube that Vader is in, right? Like there's oh, yeah. uh, like Luke is in rather when he's mm. in that thing. So there's influence oh, yeah. here, the, 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 like, possibly. Back to tank. Yeah, in the back yeah. of the tank, right? Yeah. There's influence here. Sure, that's the '70s. So yeah. there's influence here. Um, and w- now the colonel's talking to some doctor, and we're talking about his pattern. And this is where we see that one CG effect. Yes, which is the little like, display yeah. that they're looking mm. at. The right. little the spherical brain waves. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Colonel, please observe. It's the special pattern I'm getting from that young man. It doesn't resemble any like I've seen so far. And I've never seen a developmental speed or configuration like this. It may have begun with the shock of contact with number 26, or it could be... Have you finished running the comparison against Akira's pattern? I'll superimpose for you. And we're talking something about Akira and his pattern. Are these patterns the same? And maybe we could learn about the patterns. And I, in 1989, is going, what the hell is this stuff? (laughs) (laughs) What's happening? Is it safe, Doctor? I will take care of it. No, I wasn't talking about the boy at all. I'm asking that if he turns out to reach a power like Akira's, are you positive that you are able to control such a power? And the doctor goes, oh, yeah. Yeah. No problem. Yeah. Yeah, But also they do have a conversation, though, of basically being like, can you control this? But really, and at what cost? You know? Mm -hmm. Well, this is it's like. Uh, no one ever – we never get to find out exactly what they know or exactly what the plan is or what happened with a cure or how we got sure. – I mean, we get little hints. Yeah. But it's like what do they want? Because the rebels and the religious fanatics, they believe that Akira is the messiah or yeah, is going to – He's like their own personal genius. Right. <laughs> and we get the sense that the colonel doesn't want Akira to wake up. Because we're worried about another singularity. Yes. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. That's that's always the way that I interpreted it. So yeah. what is it that they want from Tetsuo? Like th- this is where so – Yeah, because like, it's like why, if, if they do? thought that he had the same sort of brain patterns as Akira, yeah. why didn't they just kill him to yeah. prevent the return? Well, I think with Tetsuo, first of all, it's an accident. That right. It happens. Accident. Yes. And second of all, if you're going to have someone like – Akira, why not have someone that you can control possibly to go against Akira in case Shh, in maybe? Case so that's happen. I yeah. feel like yeah. that's because I mean they got the kids in there, so if they get right. him at midnight, right, right. And, yeah, and you've got yourself a little bit of contention. Well, or, and it seems uh, like the, the, the colonel's agenda and the doctor's agenda are not the same. The mm-hmm. doctor wants to follow whatever the thing is because he's, he's, sure. he's the crazy scientist. Right. Like yeah. this is awesome and yeah. doesn't think of the consequences, and the colonel. I don't know. It's. It, I'm not sure. I well, think it's kind of what you said. And these are the old school uh, Japanese monster tropes. You yeah. always have the scientist who's like, no, don't kill Godzilla. Oh, yeah. Right? And then you have the military. No, we have to kill Godzilla. And right. like, no, 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 there's something to explore here. And I think that's one it's of the, the things thing. that's kind of great about the colonel as a character, though, is, be, is that he is kind of somewhere in between because he yes. says that, you know, if it if it starts to get out of hand, then, like, kill you got ki- yeah. to kill him. Yeah. Um, but... I felt watching it at least this time around. I'm I'm totally with you that I was suddenly like yeah. really on board with the colonel. This is what happens when you get older when you start to see there's a bigger picture yeah. than just like the rebellion. Like don't step on my rights. It's like exactly. No, there's a bigger picture yes. here. They got to think about um, it. So, and yeah. uh, and and I well, and again, Tokyo's already been destroyed once. Yeah, yeah. Right. yeah. And I certainly got the impression that while the colonel said that, it's not he didn't want them to kill Tetsuo. Right. It was right. very much a if it's necessary, you have to do it. Yeah. And that's the military side of him coming out. But he's he is not without like empathy yeah, for right. these kids. Certainly. Um, I think the school that Canada and his friends go to is excellent. Oh, <laughs> I would hate to teach there. <laughs> but sure. 
I uh, used to tour with the Children's Theater Company, and I <laughs> I worked in some kind of impoverished yeah. areas mm. with the Boys and Girls Club. Uh, and man, this took me right back. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. the, the, in all the worst ways, yeah. I guess. Yeah. The camera goes past these different rooms, which are covered in garbage and graffiti and, you know, yeah. horribleness. And then we go to the principal's oh. office where the gym teacher gives them some discipline. Uh-huh. Yeah. One at a time in the face <laughs> with a lot of blood. Discipline! 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 All I could think was, this is not a good way to teach them lessons. <laughs> and it's again, it's this mix of yes, sir, and total sass. Yeah. And because they walk out yelling about it, um, and they get out of the school, and their their girls come up, yeah. which are clearly the girls that follow this gang. Yes. <laughs> One of the kids is still spitting up blood. <laughs> um, and but also again, once again, before we leave the school, once again, it's another institution that's corrupt. Totally. Yeah. And totally. broken down and, you know. Well, and this is what goes to, like, Easy Rider and, and right. these films oh, of absolutely. the late 60s and early 70s of, yes. like, the, the, the generation who's supposed to be in charge has completely failed in their mm-hmm. responsibility to kids. And so kids, therefore, feel no responsibility towards the institutions yeah. in which they live. Yeah. You know, and that's clearly what, you know, because while we can be somewhat judgmental about this gang in Canada – what choice are they at? Right. You know, right. Like, they, you know, who's teaching them to do anything other than what they're doing? Yeah. yeah 100%. And ta- we meet uh, Kaori, who is a young looking girl who is maybe Tetsuo's girlfriend mm. or has a relationship with him of some kind. Yeah. And she's genuinely worried about him. And they are all talking about him being a moron and an idiot. Oh. And here's the thing I can pull back. She is the only, like, totally. good character in yes. the whole yeah. film. That's my yep. mistake. She's the only one. And totally she gets pure. mistreated by everybody, everybody all the way to the end, yeah. which is horrible. Yeah. 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 And she walks away. They're all going off to do their young gang member boy girl stuff. And she walks away sad. Yeah. yeah. There's a nurse in a hallway in a hospital. And Tetsuo is gone. By the way, fuck Kanye West for this. Because he uses this whole thing for Stronger. Oh, really? And yeah, now, he does. And when I'm, which is an homage to Akira, right? It's an homage to the film. Yeah. So now I have like, I, I have like, I'm trying to connect everything. It's like as dichotomy of. Yeah, because um, it's one of my favorite music videos, but like it ruins the movie a little bit for me because I'm trying to piece it as it is in the video versus as it is in the movie. I never thought of all the advantages I have of being totally uncool and completely <laughs> non conversant <laughs> in anything recent. It's pretty <laughs> awesome of Kanye to reference sure, in this, totally. but then again, it ruins the, yeah. at times, the aesthetic when I'm watching the, when I watch the movie this time. So yeah. it was interesting. Uh, Cowrie's at a laundromat and there's a, Scene with a girl talking on the phone, and we're up on a rooftop, and there's Tetsuo. When I woke up, I was on an operating table or something. That examination, it's like they were messing around inside my head. No, I don't want to go back there again. We'll run away. Where would we go to? I don't know. Someplace. Someplace far away. Back at school, there's not even any teachers. I love one of the gang members who I think is Yamagata is going, but I want to learn. <laughs> I think like a vocation. Oh, yeah. yeah. There, that's very common in anime. Even when there are teachers, there's rarely classes. Like unless it is specifically an anime about learning a thing, 
Like right. if it's just an anime that takes place in a school, like they never they're in class, but they're never like in class. <laughs> Frankly, I think that's true of almost all things set in schools. <laughs> yeah, I mean, how yeah. much time do we really spend on multiplication tables yes, exactly. or, or parts of speech? Yeah. Um, and but we're not going to stay in that classroom long anyway because they look out the window and Tetsuo is stealing the bike. Yeah, the oh, bike, the bike. Yeah. yeah. And uh, he's off riding, riding with Kaori, and immediately that bike stops because oh. he didn't handle it right. Mm-mm. And I can't award him. He yeah, did. it's built so for you him. Can't handle that yeah. thing. And oh, it's okay. There's some uh, other motorcycles coming. Oh, those aren't our motorcycles. Yeah, rival gang. And it's funny because it's not funny. Haha, is that the. Kaori gets a shot, a punch in the face, which is very reminiscent of exactly what Tetsuo did to the guy that he hit because mm. it's someone riding up on a motorcycle and clocking her. Yeah. And then Tetsuo's on the ground and they lift up like a pipe or something to hit him and we do a wipe, which again is a very – it's it's obviously a George Lucas thing. Yeah. Sure. But really it's a, a Kira Kurosawa thing. Exactly. Yes. You know? <laughs> and Kanada and our guys are looking for them, but they don't find them really right in away. time. Yeah. And we get to – what they call payback. Mm-hmm. And the first payback is on the girl. And this is just, you know, they rip her shirt off and they punch her and it is yeah. awful. Yeah. You know, because she's 13, 14. Yeah, probably. Because I think like Canada's all. supposed like, to be 15. I was like, like all anime heroes, I believe they're all supposed to be 15. So, yeah, yeah she's only supposed to be like 14 probably. I mean, it, I mean, yeah, it's awful. But once again, it's a brutal world. It's right? a brutal it's world. Another, it's, a t- yeah, it's uncomfortable. It is, it is uncomfortable. It's and it's interesting because, I, you know, I, I've certainly had a lot of conversations um, with other young women mm. watching this film and how they feel about this scene. And I mean, it, yeah, of course it bothers me, but it's meant to. They're yes. not glorifying it. No, it's not exploitive. It's not exploitive by any by any stretch of the imagination. And it's also, you know, I, you could argue that it's being done to further Tetsuo's story, mm. but at the same time, there's a lot of other elements in terms of what is propelling Tetsuo to ultimately become the way that he is. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, I, you know, I don't, since we're talking about the film, it's like we don't want to get too much into the manga, but, like, the character of Kaori is, like, such an interesting, it's interesting to look at her role in the film versus her role in the manga. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, because in a lot of ways, it's identical. But in the in the anime, they have a previous relationship with one another. As, right. as you say, like, she is his girlfriend, or they certainly have, a, a, they certainly yeah. have an attachment to one yeah. another. Yeah. Um, and so she kind of represents like the last vestiges of his humanity where and his ability to kind of stay connected with the people that he cared about yeah. versus in the manga where she's introduced after he's already become right. like oh. Emperor Tetsuo. But he still within that manages to form this attachment bond, to her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, again, it, it but it's but that is more of like, oh, there is still some humanity in him because he's able to form this right. new attachment. So it's it's interesting. The, the one thing I'll say is that in my opinion, in my expert opinion, yes. <laughs> filmically, there is more weight put to the threat to Canada's bike yeah. than there is to the threat to the girl. Yeah. His reaction is not if you hit her again, I'm going to kill you. Yeah. His reaction, if you Don't, scratch that if bike, you scratch that I bike, I'll kill you. Yeah. 
you. That is a very good point. That struck me watching it this time yeah. as well. Like, yeah, this is his. This is, I mean, that is values and yeah. not necessarily the relationship. Unfortunately, with the girl, with Carrie. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And but I will say to your point, Emma, too. When they rip off her shirt, the the camera doesn't zoom in. No, on no, her breasts, no, 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 no. Or it isn't made a big deal out of. She's full, and the shot of her with her. It's horrible. It's terrible. It's horrible. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's rough. Mm. Fortunately, our guys are showing up. Yeah. And Connor is on the back of a bike, and and the clowns start to scramble. Most of the guys are going one way, and the other guy turns towards our guys. And Canada jumps off the moving bike. Without breaking both his legs. Runs straight at a dude on a motorcycle. Yep. Leaps up, steps on the front fender, mm-hmm. jump kicks the guy in the head, and kicks him off the motorcycle. Yeah. That yeah. is cool. <laughs> it is. I mean, I'm, I know cool, and that is a cool move. Oh, yeah. I think that some of it, too, the, the reason that the, the action sequences in this resonate as being so cool is that – they're so, for the most, except when you get into the stuff with the espers, but like yeah. it all is based in reality, but it's just, but it's, it's animated. So they're able to push it just a little bit to stuff well, that people can't actually do. Fr- frankly, I think if you look at fight choreography in Marvel movies today, yeah. this is what they're doing. Yeah. Oh, you know? totally. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, it's later. Kaori's bloody and wearing a coat, and Tetsuo's beating the crap out of the biker. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're gonna kill him, Tetsuo! You want that? I want him more than dead! I'll split his friggin' head open! And then, man, this scene gets weird. First, it starts with a theme we're gonna have a lot, which is Tetsuo not wanting Kanada to tell him what to do. Yes, not wanting him to save him. That's that's the exact phrase he constantly uses. (laughs) And then his head starts to hurt. And there's some quick flashes, including images of the crazy mutant insanity from the end of the film. Yeah, yeah. We hear, and we hear the bells that are associated in terms of like a leitmotif with Akira. Akira! And all the guys are like, hey, are you okay? What's going on? There's weird blue light coming out of his head. Akira! I don't know who that is! Uh, He drops down to his knees. And he looks down at the ground, and the ground starts to break away. And he falls through the earth. And then he's back on his knees, almost as if he's landed back in the same spot. And then all of his guts fall out on yeah. the ground. Yep, this yep. is where you start getting into the body horror. <laughs> <laughs> I, this is what I think about with you as 14 watching this stuff. I I'm trying to remember if I had already seen like Ninja Scroll and Demon City Shinjuku, uh, all of which also have a lot of body horror kind of yeah. stuff in them because that's pretty common in, in Japanese yeah. um, sort of horror adjacent <laughs> titles. Right. But yeah, I uh, was pretty disturbed by that. As, as And as disturbing as that, in, in some ways, the shot of their perspective of what's happening, mm. which is that he... His guts have not fallen out, yeah. but he is still trying to put, put his intestines back, oh, back such in. Oh, a good shot. Yeah. He's so great. And then there's more flashes, and he staggers, and now we find out that, oh, they're being monitored. The doctor's in a big van. They come around the oh, corner. Yeah, they pick right him up. Um, they're immediately giving Tetsuo shots. Again, Kanada's like, what are you doing with my friends? And standing right. in front of him, classic anime, ginormous man in black with shoulders about five feet wide. <laughs> um, and Kanada is not getting anywhere near Tetsuo. Hmm. Um, and they take him away, and we see that bandage blowing towards the bike after they're gone. Mm. And the colonel's there, too. 
we're hanging out with our girls again. Mm-hmm. Kanada is not paying much attention to them. No. Um, they're like, let's just get out of here. And then there is a big giant explosion. And out of the smoke of the big giant explosion become come Ryu and K because they are, as we said before, terrorists. terrorists. Yeah. <laughs> um, and Kanada sees the girl and goes, in. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> hey, man. Again, I think, I, again, in the film, he just comes across as kind of dumb. Yeah. Like, I, I totally agree with you that he's he's way more smarmy uh, and uh, just kind of a jackass in the manga, whereas in the anime, like, truly, yeah. he's just like, oh, there's that girl I kind of have a thing You, you know what I think he, he said? I think he has a dumb kind of genius. Yeah. Because he is dumb. Yeah. But in, in moments of action he, where he has to be decisive, mm. He, oh, like totally! Like, like I, I'm doing this. Yeah, you know what I mean. I'm yeah. going to get this laser gun. I'm going to jump yes. on this thing. He's like, he he is impulsive uh, and decisive and yeah, heroic in this totally bizarre way. Yeah, and slightly entitled. Definitely, right? thinks, definitely entitled. Yeah, he thinks he can call her his girlfriend. They haven't even like gone out to coffee once. Yeah, well, and, yes. I would say for a kid who has had as many things go wrong for him sure. as I believe that Canada has. Yes. Yeah. He's had just about everything go right for him. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? He is yeah. the leader He's everywhere he goes. He's having a good goes. day. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> for his whole life, yeah. he has been the guy yeah. who's been able to win mm-hmm. under these terrible yeah. circumstances. Yeah. Because there's no question that he's the leader of the gang. Right. Oh, I mean, yeah. he is like, they all like, no, you are the leader. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, there's something about a rendezvous point and Kay is heading one way and then there's the army and we're in having fire with the army and we're down in sort of sewery sort of areas yeah. and she's got two guys coming after and she's got a gun and she has got dead to rights and down the sidewall again Canada is just a stud <laughs> comes running down this wall tackles one of the guys and then she shoots the other guy mm. in the face nasty mm. and he goes down and she's pretty much in shock Back at the hospital, Tetsuo is flashing back to childhood, and we see him saying goodbye to someone, probably his father, and we hear this flute music again. Now the music is really traditional Japanese kind of sound, and he looks up, he looks down, there's another boy who we might think is Kanada, and the city starts to fall apart, and he looks down, and the world below him starts to fall apart, everywhere except where Kanada is standing. And it comes up onto the thing that he's standing on and it slowly self-destructs. And his feet that are standing on the structure that is just falling apart, his feet begin falling apart. And his legs begin falling apart. And his hands begin falling apart. And he yells out to Kanada. And then he wakes up. It's a nice foreshadowing of what's going to happen in the stadium later. But it's also the destruction of their friendship. The friendship Mm, is changing. And uh, like the foundation of what he his world was is crumbling away. Yeah. The foundation of his own ability to control his body is slowly starting to crawl, uh, fall away as well and fall apart. And so these are moments to kind of like subtly show you what's happening here in mm-hmm. these relationships. And it's brilliant because it's done because you're so caught up in seeing these images that he's caught up in that maybe it'll take you two or three views to realize, oh, this is a little bit of symbolism about what is actually happening with his connection to Canada, which is it's crumbling away and it's changing and it's evolving to something else completely. Yeah, I love everything you just said and I just had another thought too, Yeah, which is we now know how old Katashiro Otomo was is that he was born nine years after uh, 
the destruction yeah. nine years after oh. Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Oh, sorry, sorry. Yeah. Yep. So he grew up with the stories yeah. of yes. the world could be destroyed. I think Kanada and Tetsuo are ex- almost exactly that age. Yes. They, they, they were born. Yep. <laughs> so this is they were born 16 years after the yep. destruction of Tokyo. Yes. And so they grew up with the story because imagine if you grew up with the stories of the world is fragile. The world yeah. could be destroyed at a moment's notice. And so in Tetsuo's mind as he's reckoning with all of the things that are happening, what he sees is the destruction of the city yeah. as the destruction as you said of his relationship with Canada. Yeah. Cuz that's what he grew up with. Yeah. yeah. Um, we're in what I can only describe as the nursery, mm-hmm. this giant, huge room that's like taking all the platonic ideal of the childhood <laughs> space and magnifying it to this massive degree with huge planes hanging from the ceiling and dragons and artwork and all this stuff. And we're talking to a little girl, number 25, Kyoko, wearing makeup and lipstick yeah. and in this bed. And she's had a dream. It was a dream that I saw. A dream? The city started to crumble apart, covered by a big shadow. And lots of people died. And the three of us, we get to meet Akira again. What? Akira? The city will crumble. So many people. So many will die. When will it happen? Do you know when? Kyoko! You mustn't let that boy go. His power. It... <sighs> and I think she's saying, and you gotta stop him. Yeah. You know, the city goes black. Yeah, yeah. And, and and the doctor says, well, her precognitive ability is well established. Yeah. One thing we haven't mentioned is there's something going on at the site of the next Olympics, which is opening up in 147 days. <laughs> Huh. An Olympics. Olympics. Isn't that funny? Because where are the Olympics taking place uh, next year? Yeah. Oh, it's going to be the 2020 Olympics. In Tokyo. In, in Neo Tokyo. That is crazy. So is there something buried underneath the Olympic uh, Stadium listen, that we should worry I'm not, about? I'm not discounting it. Because, again, this movie definitely gets some things right. Um, well, in this case, they the colonel and the doctor, they got to put on the cold gear. Mm-hmm. And they go down that elevator. Again, the design... Enough said. Yep. Go watch the movie. You'll see what we're talking about. Sequences when they go down. I love them going down. What I don't understand, and it's the only thing in it that I think makes Uh no sense at all, is within them going down in an elevator, we cut to them in another elevator in a flashback, I guess, where he's talking to the doctor. Oh, yeah. And they have this random conversation, and then we dissolve back to. Mm -hmm. It's like, why didn't you just have the conversation here? Like, why go yeah, to this you other? Yeah, you need it to be a conversation in a different elevator at a different time. Like, just, it's really just talk about it. I think it's just it's part of the conversation when they first put it, Akira down there. Yeah, I would imagine it's before he's going back to that. I, yeah, I think yeah, so. Yeah, or, or, yeah. or it's, I don't know. I don't know when it is, but yeah. but certainly what they're talking about is risk. That that you know, scientists are romantics. Soldiers think about managing right. risks. Right. Yeah. And he talks about like it took 30 years to rebuild the city and now the city's going to hell. Right. You know, and, and, and it seems like the colonel likes the spirit of rebuilding and the spirit of progress. But look at what all that progress has led to is a whole bunch of crap. Now it's just a garbage heap made up of a bunch of hedonistic fools. Mm-hmm. Which from everything we've seen, that seems pretty darn accurate. <laughs> but in spite of that, you're trying to save the city. I'm not a scientist. I think like a soldier. And we're back on the platform, and we find out that it is really cold, and they start talking about this room is 128 degrees Kelvin, and this room is 114, oh, yeah. and this room is 50. And it's like, man, this is getting really cold. <laughs> and the inner chamber is like 0.0005 Kelvin. Uh, 
And the colonel says, open the door. Now, I know a little bit about Kelvin. (laughs) You'd die. I don't care what kind of coat you're wearing. You're dead. But we open up the door, and it's this massive structure with joints and locks and beams and cracking ice and steam coming off in it. You know, looks really cool. Again, check out the movie. And we see in there the giant Akira containment, whatever it is. It's like a cryogenic chamber. I think Um, there's a number, too. Yeah, because he is number 28. 28. 28. Which comes from, maybe you know about it, Mm. there's another uh, manga, which is Tetsujo 28 or something like that. Yeah, Tetsujin 28 Go. Yeah. Yeah. And that apparently, Katsushiro Otomo was a huge fan of it, and a lot of the naming conventions came out of uh, that. But I've never read it. I haven't read it either. I'm I'm Ooh. familiar with its existence. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, That's some old school stuff right there. Yeah. Uh, it would have to be. Kanada and Kay, she is still in shock. And he and it's oh, funny. Yeah. I think his line is like, first time you ever killed a guy? <laughs> oh yeah. He has this whole pep talk to her of like, Oh, well, if you've never killed anybody before, like we could totally just run away together. Bye. <laughs> and, and what is your deal with that guy Ryu anyway? Yeah, I love yeah. how I slid that in there in her shock, in her moments yeah. of shock. Like, Dudes are shameless. Dudes are shameless. Yeah. <laughs> Let's just put that. By the way, the number 28 symbolizes balance, harmony, oh. service to others, empathy, adaptability, divine life purpose, and soul mission. So it's interesting. Knowledge and wisdom yeah. as well. So it's. I wonder if that's that factored into it as well. Um, and, of course, just as we're talking about Ryu, who comes up, but a whole bunch of guys yep. yes. pull guns on uh, Canada. Uh, knock, throw him into some room and lock the door. Yep. And now we hear that they've got some plan to sneak into the lab and they've got stuff from Mr. Meizu. We don't know who that is oh, yet, yeah. I don't think. And we're, you hear about Tetsuo and then we hear a noise because Kanada is up in the in the ventilation shaft yes. and they yeah. pull him down and he goes like, I should go with you because I'm Tetsuo's friend. Oh, yeah. He specifically says that, you know, if they're going to kill Tetsuo, then like he they should be the ones to do it because like yeah. he's their friend. Yeah. <laughs> and he was there when it happened. Yeah. All right. Um, and apparently they're going to go along with this. Yeah. They just go. OK. <laughs> <Sounds good. laughs> and now we meet Mr. Meizu, who is a cl- another classic kind of oh, anime yeah, design. Totally. Like just smarmy little dude. <laughs> yeah. Three feet tall uh-huh. with long, greasy <laughs> hair. Oh, he's so gross. Pale skin, greasy <laughs> yep. skin. Yeah. Yep. Neo Tokyo is going to change soon. In all respects, this city is saturated. It's like an overripe fruit. And buried within it is a new seed. We need only wait for the wind, which will make it fall to fruition. The wind called Akira. So this is this thing is that uh, the, here we're now starting to hear that Akira, whatever he is, because we certainly don't know, yeah. is part of their plan. That the plan of these rebels is that somehow the arrival of Akira will bring about this new age. But we don't know why they think that. Yeah. No. You know, or what they know about Akira. And certainly from what I know about him from having watched the movie, that's not true. <laughs> Definitely not. And I think that that is a lot of the point of the film is is – there, there is a level, I think, in this of them kind of challenging people, putting a lot of faith and belief in something that they cannot see right. and don't actually know about. Well, and, I, and I the think second coming. Yeah, I think that's a great point yeah. because yeah. I think we all, I think humans do that in big and small ways. Certainly, yes. the second coming being yeah. big ways, but also in the this person, politician 
whatever, they're right. going to solve my problems. Yes. <laughs> and o- over and over and over again, we all all of our experiences, oh, nothing actually solves your problems. Mm. You know, our problems are rarely solved. We might be improved yes. upon. Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. But it ain't going to be solved. And yet <laughs> each time we kind of look at the next thing and go, oh, no, this will do it. This yeah. one's going to really do it. Um, and the other group – So, but the, these are the sort of terrorist political group. They're not the religious fanatics. Right near them, like down below them, they see the actual religious people who are chanting and there's a woman who's a much, much bigger part in the book – in the comics. Yes. Um, and we hear the, the traditional sounds and, and there's something very dissonant about their chanting that's sort of intense and powerful. And there's a dude with a giant paintbrush painting in red – um, and he's writing, the time of Akira's awakening is nigh. Yeah. And that, just the image of that red, and I think that red is the exact shade of red of uh, Tetsuo's cape mm. later oh, on. Yeah. You know, is that that's just the use of color control and the power. And, 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 you know, it's like, what are the iconic things in this movie? The motorcycle, the cape, yeah. the red paint, blood. Like all these things are iconically powerful within that particular shade of red. And I also think the religious fanatics here are hearkening back to the older Japanese culture, right? With the large kimono and Mm -hmm. the huge hair. Oh, yeah. It's going back to those old times of the samurai time. So it's the, the... the bathing and the going the, – the way uh, – what Akira is going to do is bring us back to a time that we were more powerful or equal or whatever. It's interesting. The time of atonement is upon us. Are your hearts prepared? The time is nigh. The moment of Lord Akira's awakening is drawing closer. Are your hearts and minds prepared for a break new break? Break it up. Holding meetings here is prohibited. Yes. This is illegal. So as police battle protesters and religious fanatics in Neo-Tokyo, Kanada has joined a terrorist organization that is breaking into a government building in order to rescue Tetsuo, who lies in a bed writhing in agony as his mind and body begin to change. And all of them are on a collision course with something far beyond their ability to comprehend. Something called Akira. Akira. 